Schmidt, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. In today's podcast, we take a closer look at the realities of cyber threats. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be alerted when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Imagine a farm customer coming into your dealership with a receipt for a $35,000 equipment purchase, wondering when it will be delivered, and there being no record of it in the company's database. Losing a five-figure proof of purchase would seem to be an unlikely oversight for any size operation, but resolving an administrative glitch is often easier and far less stressful or damaging than a nefarious alternative, data hacking and theft. This real-life scenario was how a major line farm equipment dealership and its customer realized it had been victimized by a complex heist of the company's servers. It's increasingly common for dealers to be on the receiving end of phishing or ransomware scams, often resulting in a concerned call to an IT security company to limit damage to the dealership's reputation and finances. This can be a messy and costly process, but it doesn't have to be. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, we assembled three experts for a roundtable discussion on the realities of cyber threats, and it's not just a big dealer problem. The importance of aligning what's most valuable and where you are most vulnerable and implementing an action plan for protection. Included in the conversation were Jason Ballard, IT Director with Sedona Technologies, a software consulting company in Moline, Illinois, Wayne Selk, the Director of Professional Services at ConnectWise, a software solutions company based in Tampa, Florida, and Arlen Sorensen, founder of HTS Ag, an independent precision dealership in Harlan, Iowa, and also VP of Ecosystem Evangelism at ConnectWise. Well, before we get too deep, um, maybe I'll just have, you know, Wayne and Jason, just have you guys share a little bit uh, about your background, just to get, you know, a sense of, you know, where, where you guys are coming from and, and your experience within your respective uh, industries. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I've been in the MSP and MSSP security space here for probably close to 20 years. You know, Sedona, the company I work for, we've been doing actually cybersecurity and and stuff for uh, close to close to about that long as well. We have a large portion of our company that really focuses just on the dealer market, more than half a company. Um, We create a lot of custom software, custom solutions uh, that specifically align and integrate with a lot of dealer systems, as well as, um, you know, filling in the gaps for where additional on-site IT and, and other, you know, risks and stuff that could potentially happen, you know, inside of the dealer market. Uh, so a lot of the, my background is really kind of focused specifically in that sort of space and creating solutions directly for a lot of companies and, and more over the past, at least the last seven years since I've been with Sedona has, has been very focused on the dealer market entirely. So my background uh, extends uh, greater than 25 years um, in security. I um, upheld CISSP, I haven't renewed it. Um, I am a certified data protection solutions engineer. Um, But uh, at the end of the day, um, I've big networking background, operating systems, uh, whether it's Linux, Unix, Microsoft, doesn't matter. Uh, router switches, all kinds of fun stuff. And then um, actually uh, led the Symantec Federal Services team for eight and a half years, and then moved on to a couple of other uh, companies uh, as of late, probably last eight years, been doing uh, governance, risk, and compliance activities 
for a lot of federal contractors, um, assessments, risk type assessments, frameworks, that kind of stuff. policy development programs. Fun stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, no, good. I appreciate the, the, the background there from you guys. So, uh, yeah, I guess you guys had alluded to this a little bit, but what are you guys seeing as, you know, some of the most concerning or problematic security trends emerging, you know, within, in businesses today? And, uh, you know, again, you guys can speak generally or specifically to dealerships. You had mentioned the fact that, you know, some of these organizations don't really, you know, know what they don't know. So it's hard to kind of assess what that risk is or, you know, know where to begin, but they just say, hey, we need something. I'm going to go out and, and buy this product and, you know, hope that that solves the problem without really knowing what the problem is. So, um, you know, for our audience, I think they, they'd be interested in just getting a little bit of insight into, you know, what do they need to be aware of? What, what's, what's out there that, that they should, uh, you know, kind of be conscious of or, or is a threat? So uh, there's a couple of different things that have popped their head recently. One of which is the ransomware threat actor community is no longer encrypting stuff. They don't care anymore about encrypting it. As a matter of fact, it makes it easier for them to resell it as a ransom uh, if they keep everything in, in clear text. Uh, so now they're actually looking at, they hijack the information, they put it in a different, put it in a different system, and then they give you a drop dead date to either pay or they release it to the highest bidder, all of your information. Um, that, that was uh, a recent one. Uh, involving trade secrets, as a matter of fact, intellectual property for a, for an organization. Because the, the only way you're going to really hurt these folks today, um, given the fact that they have a lot of backups already in place, if they're doing the backup strategy, uh, which Jason can talk to as well, but there, there's ways around it from a risk perspective for these threat actors. So the way they can take that away is by leveling that playing field and saying, look, if you don't pay us, I don't care that it's encrypted and you can always recover it. I'm going to release it now and, and get it to that highest bidder. And, and they're going to pay me for this because it has all of the stuff for the new tractor you're getting ready to release, right? All of the, the fuel economics and all that other stuff. And we're just going to damage your brand and reputation. And somewhat, somebody else can build that probably faster, cheaper, and easier. So that's one. I'm sure Jason wants to talk about business email compromise, uh, which is another one in particular that can impact a lot of businesses um, from a financial perspective. If they uh, give up the, you know, I'm not sure how the dealerships are doing their business transactions today, if it's ACH or wires or that kind of stuff, given the um, size of the transactions. <laughs> But that, uh, that, that's another one that a lot of these uh, dealerships would probably want to be interested in as well, right? And it's not so much a technology play for them as it is training and education uh, around what to look for in those emails as they're being received. Jason, you have any other thoughts? I can give you two exact examples that are the exact two things that you just mentioned that have happened just this year. We had one dealer who their systems were actually compromised, you know, and it's, it's always these, these things when we find out, it's like Sedona's always brought in like after everything, it's never anybody who has our protection, right? It's always the people that maybe we've been talking to, or they've never, you know, they've, they've, 
you know, kind of not, you know, they maybe see it as a hoax or they don't really see that you really need to have all these layers of protection and, and different things in place uh, when stuff like this happens. But, but the awareness and then, and the bringing certain things to light. So one in particular where we had um, uh, somebody had call us after they were compromised and attacked, then we kind of end up tracing it back. And what happened was the bad actors we were able to find out from a lot of the log data and aggregate stuff, they were actually inside of their system. They had, they had hosted their uh, business system on site. Um, they were inside of their system and they were actually manipulating a lot of the backups. And so by manipulating the backups, I mean, that's, they very much were changing it enough to where they were backing up like temporary files and, and operating system files and things like that to where the onsite IT were getting all these green check marks and everything in their portal and, and, and these emails saying that everything was as clear and verified, but they were never actually spinning everything up and testing them. And part of the reason is they had close to 13 different servers that housed, you know, their data and their database. And their, so to be able to do that, I mean, to test it, it requires a lot of work to be able to make sure that even their backups are working. So most people are not staffed to do things like that. And so in this case, they, they waited for uh, close to, uh, I think it was uh, close to 70 days or so before they ended up hitting him with a ransom. And then the other thing is that was a little bit surprising from that attack is one one thing is like, oh, well, they have access to our database. They don't really understand how our database works. There's no way they're going to be able to get into it. I mean, they don't know how this business system works. Yeah, they do. They're very smart. Um, these, you know, you're talking large, large database, big ERP systems, big thing. I mean, they, they absolutely know how to get into them. They absolutely know how to get your data. They absolutely know how to search for your customers and grab all that stuff inside of there even if it's encrypted. Once they're in, once they can get out, it's not very difficult to be able to get that information. So the stuff that, so things like that are almost, you're pretty much forced to pay a ransom, even if you can get all of your data back uh, in a case for the, you know, the situations that, that Rain, Wayne had just talked about. Um, other ones that happen, and these kind of, these happen quite a bit more, is, you know, various types of, you know, phishing, whaling attacks, and those kind of things where, um, you know, one in particular, that happened where um, they actually were in, they were in, it was about 17 days where they had access to their entire 365 environment. So this dealer was completely cloud hosted. They had um, all of their data inside of uh, Microsoft 365. And then um, the bad actors were able to get in there. They got access to their whole tenant, including multiple email uh, boxes. They set up email forwarding rules on a lot of the, um, you know, the, the mailboxes to make sure, and they ended up doing a transaction directly with um, the dealer to the, or, or the dealer customer to get them to wire them the money. And the dealer did not find out until about two weeks later when the customer called them, asked where their equipment is. And they're like, what are you talking about? And uh, the, they're like, the $35,000 I sent you, where, you know, where, where's this? And then they sent it to them like, that wasn't us. And and they had no idea. So then, you know, that's, of course, when we get the calls for things like that. Now. Mm -hmm. um, and the good news is, I mean, we have all kinds of protection like that to prevent all these things. I mean, all these things are easily preventable, uh, you know, around, around this type of stuff. But it's education, having the right layers of protection in place you know, with all those things. So, Arlen, I don't know if, if you want to weigh in on that, just kind of from that dealer perspective on, I mean, the, the two examples, obviously, Jason shared here. You know, you mentioned, you know, they, they were preventable, 
but I mean, how seriously do you think dealerships are, are thinking about this, you know, from the day to day and, and with, you know, so much going on, you know, particularly if it's maybe a, a smaller store operation versus, you know, a, a 50, 75 location that maybe has different branches, you know, in construction and other areas. It sounds like the risks are just as real either way. There's no, there's no question that the risks are real for everybody. You know, and, and, and the reality is that while there's technologies and training and everything to help us protect any size or shape, people are often the real problem. That's where the, that's where the entry points happen is a lot of times through people and their behavior. And it doesn't matter if you've got, you know, a couple employees or you got thousands of them. That's where the real challenges are going to come from in a lot of cases. And uh, so uh, I do think that in a lot of cases, you know, this is not the core business for equipment dealers and uh, they don't know what they don't know. They don't understand how quickly this changes. The bad actor universe is uh, very much uh, a business oriented, very uh, progressive and constantly changing kind of uh, underground environment and these guys uh they 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 change their playbook every day and uh, are very effective at at taking advantage of any opportunities that they can uncover and so um you know they obviously go after the bigger fish first but uh they're finding that the smaller ones are easier targets because they're less prepared and equipped to deal with it so uh, it it's a universal problem for every business uh, no matter size or shape and and certainly um, there's a lot you can do to protect yourself, but you have to take action. You can't just think about it or, or buy a product and hope that it does it because it won't. You know, we've all read about the more publicized circumstances, the bigger companies uh, that have been targeted and, you know, I guess attacked uh, in, the, in the cyber area. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, there's that element of like, wow, you know, that, that's really scary, you know, but that's target or, you know, that's some other more consumer driven, you know, but it sounds like, you know, there's really no discrimination, you know, amongst the the bad actors in terms of, you know, kind of looking for opportunities, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, some big box, you know, consumer store or, you know, a four or five store dealership that might be vulnerable. Right. Because data is unique to each business. And that data is worth something to that business, right? So it, 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 and again, to Arlen's point, it doesn't matter the size of the organization, right? You could have a, a two-person company and you could have over 15 million in annual revenue, right? And how are you doing that? Well, you have data that's important to you that other customers are looking to, you know, uh, buy a product, buy, buy a service, buy, you know, something from you. and the information, see, it's a different mindset, right? You know, everybody loses sight of the fact that, well, all right, I sell a tractor, right? And we'll just use that as an example today. And I know Arlen's going to cringe because I think Jay brought this up once during one of our calls, one of the guys we also work with. But in that tractor today, you know, back in the day, it was just an engine, a steering wheel, some tires, a hitch, and a driver, right? Today, there's a computer on board, <laughs> <laughs> and and that computer uh, is actually tied into GPS so that they know what crops are planted where in the field. Well, imagine if someone got got into that computer and started monkeying with 
your GPS coordinates. Now what? So, you, you know, it's, it, it's not so much about uh, the fact that I'm a small company today. It's what is it that I have that's valuable to me? Because someone is going to end up commoditizing that if they can get their hands on it and I'm going to be out of business or I'm going to have a torch brand or reputation at the end of it. That's why I brought up and I started with the risk conversation, right? And aligning to your business objectives because when you start looking at the different, from a different perspective and you say, what is it that makes me so important today? Why am I making money today? And you boil it down to the data that you have, intellectual property, customer information, credit cards, I don't care then that can be commoditized by a bad actor, regardless of the size of the business. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, they're definitely, I mean, the bad guys do not care what size, what size dealership you are, what size business you are, it doesn't matter. They're, I mean, they're very much looking for what is important to you. And it's also important that you have the right layers of protection in place that are protecting those particular things. There's so much disconnect that we see many times and because if you go and you take what Wayne said and you, and you ask uh, dealer owner groups, what is actually important to you? And if they list out different things and kind of talk about that, and then you talk about what layers of protection they have in place, those don't usually line up. Uh, many times they don't with what they may have purchased a package that may have done this because it's, oh, well, it's going to stop this type of an attack. It's going to stop this. But is it actually protecting what's important to you? I mean, you could fortify, you know, your entire dealership, your home, whatever it would, whatever it would be in and, and, you know, and, and, and for try to protect like your family, for example, but yet somebody, you know, the second they're out of the house or, you know, kidnapped or, or, or something worse, uh, uh, things like that. I mean, there's so many things that maybe don't necessarily align. So that's why that education around really everything that's, that is covered for you is so important. Yeah, there's three types of controls, really. There's administrative controls, which would be like your policies, your procedures, that kind of stuff, Jack. Uh, then there's the technical controls, right? Like your firewalls, your intrusion prevention systems, antivirus, your endpoint data uh, detection and response capability, backup systems, et cetera. And then you have physical controls. You're, if you have a brick and mortar today, great. You have locks on the front door. You have a guard typically, uh, you know, patrolling the the perimeter, especially if you have equipment on site, I'm sure, cameras, that kind of stuff. Uh, and they all have to work together, right? It's not that you can have one without the other because then you'll have a gap. So, you know, it's, it's not all about technology. It's not all about making sure your front door is locked because I'd be willing to bet Jason could probably confirm this, that a lot of their sensitive information is always on, meaning it's on a server somewhere, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, that's always accessible or potentially always accessible depending upon the controls that they have or don't have in place. Yeah, and bad guys don't wait to attack or they don't attack when you're, when you're aware and when right. you're around. I mean, uh, just like any you know, heist movie in that where they're compromising, taking advantage of a person to compromise them, and they're going to do it at the, at the most optimum time, and they're going to make sure that nobody's watching, nobody's available, you know, and, and those kind of things. Um, and the scariest yeah, so. part about that is most people are completely unaware that there's some bad actor already lurking in their environment. 
So on average, about 180 days sitting in there, just, we call it living off the land. All they're doing is just sitting there, just watching everything going on within, within that environment. And to Jason's point earlier, that's how they're able to make modifications slowly over time and, and get it to where those backups aren't, aren't even ready. They're not even backing up the, the fully intended thing, but the technician is seeing the green checkboxes. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but first a word from Trimble Agriculture. The series will feature perspectives from precision experts on a range of topics, and today we have some insights from Jesse Chisholm, Director of Sales for Agriculture with Trimble, into the compatibility and adaptability of technology to equipment. Jesse, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. Give a little bit of background on yourself and, and your role within Trimble. Yeah, yeah, Jack, uh, thanks for having me here today. Uh, my background, um, I've been with Trimble um, approximately 10 years uh, working in the, their precision ag division. Um, prior to that, I uh, spent five years working in the machinery and precision ag industry. So again, uh, I've seen fairly decent sprints of innovation within the precision technologies, precision farming technologies industries, and, and how the how the, uh, the manufacturers and, and you know, uh, leading world innovators of those technologies um, have, have been working with OEMs and, and dealerships on both the OEM side and independent uh, precision farming dealers um, together. So uh, seeing a lot of synergies uh, in between those relationships. Yeah. Certainly with that experience in the industry, definitely probably had some exposure to uh, one of the uh, topics that I know is is typically uh, on the minds of our audience, uh, particularly on the precision side, and, and that would have to do with compatibility and adaptability of technology to equipment. And I know a lot of uh, newer high horsepower equipment, you know, is going to come with factory installed precision systems, but you know, there's still a pretty robust aftermarket uh, for dealerships to take advantage of, and particularly, you know, when a specialist is on a farm and is faced with a problem or gets a call from a customer about older equipment, newer technology, how do I make it work? And, you know, it's a lot of potential troubleshooting and problem solving to, to find the right solution. So, yeah, I wanted to get just maybe, you know, some historical context from you on, you know, what you've seen in terms of the evolution of compatibility when we're talking about technology and equipment. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, so again, I, I think, you know, within my 15 years in the industry, again, I was kind of on the, uh, I would say the forefront um, of major auto steer technologies. And, and when you look at precision ag overall, you can really go back to the days of the introduction of the yield monitor, right? And, and that was really, in an essence, the, the first um, components of precision technology. Um, moving forward, as you know, again, uh, the the vehicle um, is an essential part of the of the farming operation, right? Um, I think for me, the the uh, the ability, such as the aftermarket precision, as as you uh, coined it, I think of it as um, the the leading innovators of precision technology, right? Um, with, without the vehicle, companies like, like Tremble 
can, can move much faster and, and develop technologies that don't necessarily impact the, the vehicle per se, but they do enable the vehicle to, to basically um, transform from a, from a piece of farm machinery to an intelligent farm application vehicle. So again, the components, um, the components that we put on a vehicle, um, I really think are the, are the primary benefit uh, to the grower. And, and when you look at equipment compatibility, as far as older equipment versus newer equipment, um, that's really secondary. And that's secondary to um, what the precision ag technologies can bring the user as far as user experience, return on investment. Um, so, you know, again, with that, that enables, um, you know, the grower or user to um, have the ability to utilize a variety of machinery brands, vehicle types, um, and of course, machinery of all ages, um, and, and really uh, experience the same results if that, you know, particular piece of equipment is 15 years old or 10 years old, um, that allows them to turn that vehicle into a, an intelligent farm application vehicle. So uh, again, I think the value of precision technology today and, and where it's moving is in the direction of um, the ecosystem, right? So onboard technologies to enable a vehicle um, are, are just one part of, of the process, right? Or ecosystem and compatibility uh, really, again, having solutions such as such as Trimble, where we can bolt these to older pieces of equipment um, and newer pieces of equipment, uh, again, um, allow that person to now connect their farm with the digital world. Okay, let's get back to the program and hear more from Wayne, Arlen, and Jason on how the size of your company doesn't matter because the data you keep matters to you. Jason, you, you brought up a couple of examples, you know, some recent situations, you know, you, you guys had seen, you know, it was curious how common or, or just roughly, you know, how, how often are you being contacted now by dealerships? I know you, you mentioned, you know, I think seven just just in in you know the span of uh, what last week or somewhere in that time frame. But I mean, I, I gotta imagine. I mean, this is probably becoming more common, and and you know, in some cases, it's kind of a wake up call for dealerships. You know, uh, that that weren't prepared or you know weren't proactive or just you know didn't have that training or weren't taking advantage of it. Yeah, for sure. It used to be. You know, like a couple of years ago, even even sometimes last year, that we uh, wouldn't get calls until it was too late on many people, and then they kind of panic and and they didn't really understand the need for it. Um, dealers are getting a lot smarter now. They are sitting a lot more educated. They are getting a lot more aware of what's going on, and they are seeing it as very real. And uh, so they are becoming more proactive and trying to get all the right protection in place. Um, you know, before they're attacked. Uh, it might be because they talk with their neighbor dealers and, and other friends in the community and, and other owner groups and things like that to try to do that. So uh, we're very happy to see uh, people being more proactive around those kind of things. But yeah, 
It's um, unfortunately though, it's still probably close to on average, at least once a week where um, we get a call from somebody that we don't have any protection for that is, is wants help because it's kind of been too late, but, but we're seeing more than double or triple that, that of people wanting to prevent those kind of things ahead of time, which is, which is a very good thing. Cause that's, I mean, we all want to, you know, stop the things and not, not want to try to have to clean up a mess. I think one of the things that, uh, that we still see a lot of Jack is the, it won't happen to me syndrome, right? That they don't want my stuff. I'm not big enough. I'm, you know, I'm in rural whatever, and they don't even know I exist out here. Uh, they do and they will. And it's just a matter of when. And, uh, you know, even to Jason's point, you can do all the right things and it only takes one person doing the wrong thing on any given day to create a problem. So it's really important that you do all the right things. You put the right controls in place like Wayne talked about. You put the right technologies and training in place, but you still have to be prepared for what happens if they manage to circumvent all that stuff that we have to do some kind of response. Uh, one more thing is that we have we are seeing that the number of attacks that we're stopping now are starting are beginning to supersede the ones that the one you know for for those that don't have necessarily have any sort of protection so and we're seeing you know more and more people adding more protection more and more people you know uh, be able to prevent these kind of things and it's a and it's a very easy thing I mean really the ROI uh, on most security I mean you'll pay for itself in less than three months I mean it's 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 uh, you know, very, very intelligent move for any owner group to really just want to be able to protect their dealership because it's, it could be completely devastating. And yeah, unfortunately, I mean, there's, I mean, even bigger ones can potentially go out of business or, or, ha or something else that, uh, you know, just from a, a single attack. So Jason, in those two scenarios that you talked about, um, and, and I don't know how much you can say, but in terms of, of, Kind of the resolution of those um you know was were those situations that you know ended messy or were they resolved or, or was it a situation where you know the dealerships just had to kind of cut their losses and accept the outcome and, and try to you know prepare for the next time yeah and i'd say one of them was ended up being pretty good the other one not so much um one of them um, the bad guys had compromised their email box and made a transaction with their um, thankfully, they only had access to their cloud environment and only a few different email addresses. So once we kind of found out about it and, uh, you know, and, and we're able to get in there, we were able to put the protection in place that we need to prevent anything further. And they really were just kind of out the loss of, uh, I mean, it certainly a compromise of reputation, a compromised, uh, you know, uh, whatever um, you know, I don't know if there was any lawsuit or anything like that with a particular uh, customer that happened. But in, in that particular case, I mean, there was, that was really the, the extent of the damage. Like there wasn't like stolen data from their dealership. So it was just more of the transaction that was happened. And then thankfully we were able to kind of put the rest of the layers of protection in place to prevent anything further. But yeah, the other one where the data was compromised from their backups, they were forced to pay the ransom. Um, you know, in that, and the, and the tricky part with that is, and, and Wayne can probably talk to this one more in general around just the ransom in general is, I mean, like you, I mean, there are, there are definitely groups 
that are more reputable than others when it comes to um, you know paying ransom and just and just whether okay just because I've got my data back and I'm I can continue on with my business now what's going to happen you know there, that that kind of thing is always kind of you don't really know <laughs> until time goes on what the extent of it would be so it's not just a matter of just you know okay I'm going to pay this and because many people when they when they talk about risk and they think oh the average cost of the ransom is you know uh, for this particular thing maybe is seventy thousand dollars and that's what I have so I'm like that's I'm I'm willing to take the risk of pay that uh, rather than paying for an ongoing protection um, but then I mean that's that's maybe just the cost of the ransom I mean that's not all the monetary damages and everything else for the reputation, anything that potentially happened that could just completely, uh, you know, snowball over time and, and become really bad. And, and the other thing is like, I mean, dealerships talk, businesses talk, customers talk. And even if it doesn't make the news, uh, which usually they don't, uh, we, we always recommend people to not talk to anybody in the press, but uh, um, around specific attacks, but they, you know, that, that doesn't mean that, that it's going to not hurt them. And it's not always about paying the ransom either. Remember, if it's a country on the sorry you can't pay them list from the U.S. Treasury, you can find yourself in a world of hurt with the federal government. (laughs) So uh, you need to make sure that you have the right people involved. Cyber insurance, by the way, is not always the answer uh, either because there a lot of cyber uh, cyber insurance companies today are are finding it ways around not paying, violating the terms of the agreement of the policy. Uh, Someone does something silly like trying to repair something or mitigate something and it violates the terms of the policy and they're they're just not going to pay up. And I mean, we've seen that. Uh, We actually have uh, an MSP partner who one of the technicians actually did that exact thing thinking they were doing the right thing and it cost them uh, $2 million that they had to pay to their client because the cyber policy would not pay. I mean, so there, there, there are other implications, which is what Jason's saying, you know, just, it's not just about paying the ransom, right? There, there's follow on stuff and consequences potentially fallout uh, that, that can occur if you're not careful. So when you guys are, uh, you know, thinking about or trying to uh, get clients and, and dealerships specifically to think about that risk, you know, upfront, you know, what, what's the risk, what's most valuable to your business, um, you know, that you don't want to lose, you know, versus what they might consider a reasonable financial loss, you know, if something happens like, well, yeah, we, we could, you know, afford that. Not thinking about maybe some of those intangible costs, you know, of reputation or uh, like you mentioned, the word of mouth, you know, Jason, you mentioned that, that ROI and that, that's obviously a, uh, sort of three letters that resonate very strongly, uh, you know, with, with dealers, uh, for sure, particularly in the, in the transactional side of things. But, you know, for having those conversations or those considerations, um, you know, what advice do you guys have on how they can, can weigh that risk versus the worth of, you know, making an investment in, in a protection Plan, you know, whatever that might be. And, and you kind of threw out that $70,000 number uh, as an average cost. But, you know, when we're talking about the protections and kind of scaling those to a particular dealership, you know, how, how can they, they do that effectively so it doesn't seem like, well, yeah, I don't know, this is worth it. And, you know, we'll, we'll take our chances. 
Jason, was that yeah. seventy thousand the ransom that they paid, or was that seventy thousand the cost of the protections? That seventy thousand. That that actually that number came from the one example that was paid on the ransom for for one of the backup ones that and we that's have. In low. Yeah, no, it's it's very low. I mean, I think yeah, the average is close to what three million or something. I don't that yes. the the Ponemon Institute said, um, and and I think that that number is from 2019 that I the last one I checked. But yeah, that's that's a thing too. Is like with, with some of that, and you don't know the extent of those kind of things because they could, you know, it it could sometimes they'll put feelers out there on a number and and then you you get that and then it just turns into more and as they you know, continue. And it's not like they're going to stop attacking you either or stop trying to steal from you, especially when they've got money from you. You're the, you're now an easy target and, uh, you know, they're, and, and anything that you're associated with and anything that's inside of your data, you know, including any of your, any of your partners, customers, those kind of things too, are just going to continue to, you know, uh, snowball that, you know, goes, you know, crazy. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's one of the things, Jack, uh, that most business owners do not understand that have customers and clients, right? So take an MSP for an example. A lot of our, well, I won't say a lot, uh, we had several uh, MSPs that were actually caught up in a huge ransom, what appeared to be a whole ransom attack uh, over the past couple of years the threat actors were able to come into the MSP and then start going down to each one of their clients. We call that a buffalo jump, right? So, um, and the, you know, these dealerships are very similar again in scope, right? Because they have other clients as well. So if you kind of put them in the role of what would be a distributor, and then say that now each of these clients has the potential to be exposed as well. So the threat actors in the case of a ransom, they are actually able to make more money because of the broader client base than they are just from the one dealership. Would you agree with that, Jason? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so MSPs- There's a good risk right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, huge. I mean, it's not just solution providers like us. I mean, we're obviously pretty, you know, heavy targets for that exact reason, but really every business is like that in some capacity. Everybody's, every business is offering some level of, uh, some level of service and, uh, uh, or, or, you know, product or something where they're, they're storing customer data, they would have that. I mean, even, I mean, larger transactions when you, I mean, you deal with a million dollar combine that's, I mean, you have to run credit checks. You have to run all this kind of stuff. If that data, if somebody's like, a key logger on a machine that it's completely undetected that is, is stealing any sort of data that would, that would have, I mean, they're certainly going to wait until they get some really high dollar, uh, you know, items and, and customers before jumping on anything, you know, further. I mean, there's you know, why, I mean, there, there are some groups that obviously they want a quick buck and they'll try to, you know, sell things and kind of move on. But then there's other deeper groups that are a lot more complicated, a lot smarter that will just, well, they will not give up and they, and I mean, the, the, I think the latest, just in some of the transactions, I mean, it's, we're over, I mean, we're talking billions of dollars a year now is, is just the, how lucrative these businesses are and how these cyber criminals organizations are actually making, you know, definitely more than, than any of the, well, they had some numbers here, you know, definitely more than any, you know, any, any Walmart, you know, only makes 
500 billion or something a year. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's a very lucrative business for them. I, I think one of the things that, that uh, we want dealerships to take away is that the need to do a risk assessment and, yeah. and Wayne talked about risk is a big part of it. And, you know, they don't know what they don't know until they actually walk through a risk assessment and look at where they're, where they currently are in terms of really protecting themselves compared to the risk that those areas uh, open them up to. And, and so I think that's an important step for a dealership to take is to find a reputable company like Sedona and work with them to really assess what are the risks out there? What protections are in place today? What are the gaps? And then what's that ROI going to be to fill those gaps and, and cover off on that? And, you know, to Wayne's point earlier, just buying cyber coverage is not the answer. Uh, and, you know, cyber companies are starting now to look at, you know, what, what protections are in place, what controls are, are there, and they're going, to, they're going to be tightening up who can buy that insurance and what'll, when it'll pay because they're just, they're getting hammered by uh, attacks that uh, they're ending up paying for. So uh, risk assessment is really a, a very foundational thing that you need to be doing. So Arlen, you know, kind of playing off the comments uh, from Wayne and, and Jason, just on kind of that ROI versus risk, um, you know, I was wondering if, if you could speak to kind of how, how HTS has gone about that. And obviously, you know, that, you know, they're in a little bit different situation, you know, obviously with, with your background and your involvement there, but I mean, kind of just maybe thinking about it as a snapshot, you know, of, of the dealership there and, um, you know, how they went about that process. And, and also, I guess, ha have there been, you know, potential threats that, that the dealership has had to, you know, diffuse or at least deflect or became aware of, obviously, and, and you know, Hopefully, you know, nothing came from them with the, the proper protections in place. But, you know, kind of thinking of it from that, uh, you know, real world perspective of, you know, here, here's what we did and here's, you know, what, what we've tried to avoid. Yep. So, so, as you know, I ran an IT company for 27 years and uh, sold it back in 2012. Uh, but I have, you know, a few years ago, I, I hired an MSP, uh, a company much like Sedona, to, uh, to take over the security operation for our business because, you know, I realize the risk is, is real and uh, we have to be protected. And, you know, while I know something about technology, I'm not a security expert and I was in no position to try to do it myself. Uh, you know, so um, we, we have hired a company to, to do that for us. Uh, they've done the training of all of our people. They've put the right technologies in place uh, every quarter we sit down, we review the threats that have come at us and uh, actually just did that in the last couple of weeks. You know, the technologies are intercepting hundreds and hundreds of threats that are coming at us every quarter. And, uh, you know, thus far we've been able to, uh, to stay protected and, and not have a incident. But, you know, part of the discussion we have every time we meet is what is the what is the response that we need to be ready with in the event or when it happens? Because I'm a believer it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And uh, we want to be, uh, you know, on top of 
what the right things to do because there is definitely a sequence you need to take when you're compromised and the, the right thing to do is not to just go fix it yourself. You've got to have forensics. You've got to have all kinds of things happen if you want cyber insurance to pay. And so, uh, you know, our team has spent a lot of time talking through those things and, and making sure that we're ready uh, in the event something happens. And, and our security provider has been right there with us to make sure that we've put the right things in place to, to uh, not only know what to do, but have them by our side when it, when and if it happens. So Arlen, with, within the dealership then, I mean, you mentioned the, the quarterly reviews uh, of threats and, and talking through that readiness and, and evaluation. Who is and, and I guess who should be involved in, in those discussions, you know, and, and being aware of, you know, what the risks are? Because I mean, you mentioned the fact that, you know, you could be doing everything right and, you know, the wrong person on the right day, you know, does something that jeopardizes the whole operation. So I mean, how, how broadly should dealerships be thinking about kind of the, the training and communication of this stuff? Well, everybody on everybody in the dealership needs to be trained. There, I mean, it, it's top to bottom, you know, and, and I'm sure Jason probably is way more experienced in who makes the fatal click. But, uh, you know, just because you've got a C, C in your title doesn't mean you're not going to click on the wrong thing in an email and open up the dealership to a, a, some kind of an attack. Um, so from a training perspective and awareness perspective, the whole company needs to have trained, be trained and, and understand their role. You can't win this fight with just technology. You've got to have people that are doing the right things as well. And so uh, it, it's, a, it's a top to bottom kind of thing. And, you know, certainly without buy-in at the top, you're not going to get the funding you need to put the technologies in to, to go along with those tra the training. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Jason experiences it all the time that it's not the workers on the, the floor that are causing the problem. It's, it's a C-level that uh, whips open the laptop at an airport and clicks a message without reading it, and all of a sudden there's a potential problem coming at us. Yeah, there's a, a few things that you said, Arlen, that are, are really worth kind of understanding and kind of driving home. I mean, your security is very much a shared responsibility. It's, it's I mean, you need to have, you don't want a, a mistake that, you know, a dealership, any company could make is just putting, you know, all of, you know, maybe any sort of uh, compliance and all the, all the different layers that you need to place into maybe like a single product or or even just their own IT staff. Like, well, I'm, uh, what am I paying these guys for? They should be here to kind of protect me. I mean, that's really kind of an unfair thing when you talk about how much uh, is really involved with that. Um, I mean, at Sedona, we have a lot of very intelligent, high-paid uh, security experts, but we still, you know, very much rely on important partners like ConnectWise to you know, help us fill in some of the additional gaps that are needed to be able to protect our customers. But we also work directly with our customer resources, uh, their on-site IT, um, insurance agents, uh, any other vendors that they may have to make sure that we're all working together and we're all fighting the same fight. And, and uh, we are educating every single one of the users. I mean, no matter if they have a password, or they have any sort of key into that into that dealership, I mean, they are important um, in, some, in some way and they need to be educated uh, around those types of things. And it's a very much a shared responsibility for all the way down to the end user to every single one of 
you know, the, the vendors and partners, um, as well as all the internal employees. Yeah, and you just hit on another good one there, Jason. You know, the third-party vendors, right? Supply chain management is actually another one of those big hot key buttons today. And so just because the dealership has everything locked down that they're doing correctly, they have to also worry about their supply chain. So back to your point, Jack, initially when you said, well, what, you know, I'm not a target of the world, right? Target uh, company. It was an HVAC vendor that ended up being the entry point. So, right, right. So, you know, when you start, when you start actually bringing a lot of these things together and then the light bulb goes on with, with the folks that go, I don't need security, but then you start bringing up some of the other things that go, Oh, maybe I do need security. <laughs> so I think the, the last question, I guess I just wanted to post to you guys and I appreciate uh, your, your time and, and all the insight today. Uh, great information. Um, was if, if, you know, you're sitting down, uh, you know, talking to uh, leadership uh, within a dealership and, and, you know, they're kind of wondering, you know, well, you know, how much do we really need to do in this space? You know, um, what's, uh, they've done the risk assessment. They, they've kind of gone through the paces to try to understand this. What's one thing, one piece of advice um, that you would give dealers that, that they can do today? And, and this is thinking about it in the context of they haven't put much thought or effort, you know, into, into securing their dealership's business at this point. And, and maybe it's just been kind of a passing, maybe they have, you know, insurance, but, you know, beyond that, have it anything, you know, what, what's the one thing they, they should do today to start protecting themselves? Uh, sure. I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing when you say something that's like a, a one thing is there's no, there is no, there is no one thing. Right. Um, so risk assessment get, helps show some things that could be vulnerable that you could put into there looking at different compliance needs. Um, uh, so that, so the risk assessment, like what Arlen said, the compliance things that, that Wayne had originally had talked about, um, are, are great starting points to understand Here's, here's at least a list. Here's some things that I can go off of to try to help fill in the gaps. And then let's start getting into a, a little step further. It's like, okay, um, because, I mean, you could spend easily hundreds of dollars per user per month and still never be protected from, from a right sort of attack. So you really, it's really important that you narrow it down to what is the most critical vulnerabilities that are actually going to affect your business to cover the right types of layers uh, with that. So it does have to start with educating where different security gaps are and how they would affect those different things and, and then meeting sort of the right layers to cover any sort of, you know, um, to kind of quote something from like the NIST framework, for example, like you, you have the identify uh, any potential problem um, that would, that would happen. Uh, you have the detection component, which is detecting any any sort of threat that happen, like your endpoint protection, DNS within there. Um, identify, detect, uh, you know, respond, recover, um, and uh, of course I'm missing one in there. But uh, I, I mean, it. But but just every sort of no matter what sort of happens, so you want to be able to prevent anything that's happening from happening. You want to be able to you know make sure you have all the right software, make sure you have all the right vendors, make sure you have all the uh, all those different things. So it's, it's just kind of understanding 
where all those things are. I mean, that's, that's where most of the attacks are. I mean, you, we see so many things that somebody, you know, they, they think they may have had that because they were sold on something that they, okay, it's going to prevent these things. That's great. I'm going to spin this and this, that this is a great package. And then, and then they're attacked and something gets through. And then one of the first things to do is just change and just buy something else that's doing it. If it gets past, you know, something gets past their endpoint protection, they're going to buy like a, what they think is a better endpoint protection, which really neither of those are going to solve that particular sort of attack or problem. So also under understanding, you know, where other attacks are happening and where sort of things are kind of coming from to just kind of figure out. So just kind of working directly with, you know, uh, partners and uh, particularly ones that are really focused on that particular, you know, industry and that that can help out with identifying where they really need to kind of start and then just kind of, uh, you know, taking a lot of that and, and trying to make the best decision from there. Yeah, so my, uh, my take on that, where to start, right? Um, I, I realize Arlen threw out the risk assessment, but I think overall businesses, and I don't care what business you're in, you have to make sure that your business objectives are aligned to your risk. Okay, what, what do you, uh, and a, a risk assessment, by the way, isn't just necessarily looking at technical vulnerabilities that exist, because vulnerabilities extend beyond the technical realm. Your end users are a vulnerability potentially as well. Your physical controls can also be a vulnerability if you forget to lock the front door, right? So there, there are other things that, that, that businesses need to keep in mind when, when we're talking about vulnerabilities. Um, but make, you know, there, the NIST cybersecurity framework is a great framework because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't discriminate against a particular business, right? There are a standard set of security controls that every business should have in place today uh, in some way, shape, or form, right? Now, some may not be applicable to the dealership, and that's okay, right? But understanding how that the risk associated with those controls applies to your business and then figuring out, is this keeping me up at night or is this something I can live with, right? If it's not, if it is keeping me up at night, then what do I need to do about it? Right, and the conversation isn't one about technology. The conversation is all around risk. The technology is just an end game. It is something that a tool that actually helps me fulfill that need, right, or close that gap. So the 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 risk conversation is is one uh, great place to start. Help them align to their business, right? Figure out what their actual needs are the problems that need to be solved, and then work with your provider like Jason to help figure out what's necessary to fill those gaps across your administrative, your technical, and your physical control sets. And for me, uh, my one thing would be don't go it alone. Uh, you're not, you're not going to win this battle by yourself. And uh, you need to find a, a partner like Sedona that that's got the expertise in this space and can come alongside you and help guide you. You need to work with companies like ConnectWise that are providing products that you can rely on and trust. But if you go this alone, you're gonna you're gonna have a you're gonna have a long day and uh, it won't end well. Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you guys the time here to uh, participate and, and share some th thoughts here. Really good information and good advice.
thank you to Jason Ballard, Wayne Selk, and Arlen Sorensen for sharing some insights with us today on cybersecurity. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at kschmidt.lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2431. You can also keep up on the latest precision practices impacting your dealership today by registering online at precisionfarmingdealer.com for our free PFD daily newsletter. I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Wayne, Jason, Arlen, Trimble Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Kim Smith. Thanks for listening.